Welcome back to On the Ground, a new podcast by the American Bar Association Commission on Domestic and Sexual Violence. This is your host, Anya Lynn Lesker. In our first episode, we introduced Samantha Williams, a new attorney working on domestic violence and family law issues in Washington, D.C. In this episode, we'll hear an ethical question that Samantha has, and then we'll take the question to our experts in the field. Here's Samantha. So another issue that I've seen that I think is a really important ethical issue is when in trial, the opposing party brings a witness who I know, whoever the lawyer is, knows has experienced violence at the hands of the opposing party. So as a survivor of domestic violence or sexual violence, the hands of the other side. And at what point in thinking through case strategy, it might make sense to bring something like that up, whether it's because the survivor has lied in the past to protect the abusive party or for any other reasons to impeach. The first sort of step of that question is, is it ever a good strategy to do that um, legally, putting aside any moral ethical issues? And second, if you come to the point where you decide, yes, legally, that might be the most effective tactic. The second piece is ethically, is it ever okay, especially as an advocate for survivors and someone who feels as part of the movement to end gender-based violence, is it ever okay to actually cross-examine a survivor on some of the most horrendous violence that that person has likely ever experienced, especially knowing or, or assuming that that could possibly lead to that person being in danger? I'm using the term ethics, but I think that that really is a, a moral question. All of our experts agree this is a really difficult question, but they have some good tips for how to think through and frame the issue. Let's start with Beth Posner, clinical assistant professor of law, University of North Carolina School of Law. I think this is a really difficult issue. On the one hand, we have our professional responsibility under the rules that require that we zealously advocate for our client and assert our client's position really by whatever means necessary as long as we follow the rules of the adversary system. However, under the rules of professional conduct, at least in North Carolina, there's also an acknowledgement that there's a conflict between responsibilities and that those conflicts will arise specifically when there's a tension between the lawyer's responsibility to the client and the lawyer's sense of personal ethics. So what does that mean for this case? You know, we're supposed to zealously pursue a client's legitimate interests. In this case, I think the easy answer is that ethically it would seem like we are compelled to use whatever information we have about the witness to cross-examine her in such a way that will be advantageous to our client's case. That would be our professional responsibility under the rules of conduct. The bigger question, though, I think, is whether doing so would be a good trial strategy for our client. That's Professor Posner bringing up trial strategy, which is always a good place to start no matter what the question is. Here are some of our experts from our first two episodes with Samantha discussing how to consider these competing issues through the lens of trial strategy. Here's Protima Pandey, Managing Attorney, Bay Area Legal Aid. I would say, Samantha, your focus should be, how do I look at this from a pure case planning perspective? In fact, when you look at any witness or any case plan, isn't that what you're doing ultimately? You're analyzing each piece of evidence, putting it together, 
with the elements that you're required to use to prove your case and going forward. So if you're looking at it from the perspective of, will this fit into my case? Yes. Is this necessary for my case? Yes. How do I present this in a manner that's the least damaging to the survivor who's not my client, but who is part of the movement? And I will say that the strategy that you should follow, because your question is, you know, is this ever a good strategy? Well, here's the bottom line. Follow the strategy that works best with your case theory. And then there's no ambiguity about whether I'm doing the right thing as an attorney for the movement or I'm doing the right thing as an attorney for my client. It's because I'm part of the movement that I realize that we have to all zealously represent our clients no matter who they are. We have to all prepare for our case to the best of our ability. And our duty first and foremost is to our client. And if we do the best for our client, it is our movement that is furthered. Now let's go to Madeline Garcia Bigelow, Director of the Domestic Violence Project at the Urban Justice Center. You should be asking in advance for a witness list. If you know that this person is a survivor of DV, um, it's something that you can ask that individual about. We should be reaching out to witnesses where we can, unless for some reason you're not permitted by your court to reach out to any witnesses, you should be reaching out to them. You should be speaking with them. You should be making an attempt to find out what their story is. You should be asking them why it is that they would actually be testifying on behalf of the abuser if they have actually confirmed that they're a survivor of DV at the abuser's hands. Are they being coerced? Were they subpoenaed and they had no choice? Were they ever in hiding? Were they found out? These are all things that we shouldn't be projecting out what we think may be happening. We shouldn't be projecting out the reasons, and we shouldn't be assuming that the person who's testifying, irrespective of whether or not they're a survivor, that we know the reasons behind it. This is certainly a really complicated issue and a great question from Samantha. As several people have noted, the answer will always be both case and jurisdiction specific, depending on the facts of your case and your courtroom and judge. It's also important to note that if you choose to cross-examine this witness, you don't have to do it in the same way that you may cross-examine a hostile witness or witness with a different relationship to the opposing party. Through your line of questioning, you can even use this as an opportunity to educate the court about domestic violence dynamics. Let's go back to Professor Posner for a discussion about client-centered lawyering. I would really want to first think about this as an issue with regard to our client. In all of our cases, we are doing client-centered work. Within the bounds of the law, we give our clients all sorts of information that they need in order to make decisions that can empower them so that they can determine the course of the litigation that we're going to take. We do this for a lot of reasons. We do this because our clients know what's safe for them. They know what might make them vulnerable as we litigate a case. They know how they are going to feel about the things that we're going to do, and they have the right to make those sorts of decisions within the bounds of the law. We also do this because we want to model healthy and appropriate information sharing and power sharing with our clients and we want to show them the ways in which professionals should be treating them people should be treating them in general what's a healthy relationship so we want to have a conversation with our clients about what it's going to look like to use this kind of information in cross-examining this witness who she may or may not know we want the client to think about if whether there are safety ramifications for this kind of cross-examination for her, for the client. 
we want to lay out what the cross-examination might look like and then think about the potential downsides for our client. Just really basic things. How is she going to feel in the courtroom and how is she going to react um, emotionally and to have, help her think through how she might react to watching that kind of cross-examination. And we want to lay out for her not just what that cross-examination is going to look like, but also what we think and what we know might be the potential downfalls, um, what the ad advantages are for the trial strategy, but also what the downfalls are so that the client can make an informed decision based on issues like safety and issues like emotional health um, and also issues of whether this is advantageous um, or not. And so that's then the, big, the other big question. What are the strategic downsides or what are the advantages to even cross-examining a survivor? Will it be useful to cross-examine someone about past incidents of abuse in their lives? I think this is a question that you can only know in your individual course, that this is really um, a court-by-court, judge-by-judge question. Will your client look like a bully? Um, will it undermine your case if you vigorously cross-examine a similarly situated victim? Will your client appear insensitive? Will this line of question and the judge? Will the witness lie? Do you even have enough evidence to expose the lie so that the line of cross-examination will, will be credible? And do we really have enough information about the past abuse to cross-examine effectively? Because again, we don't want to use this tool unless we know exactly what's going to come out. So I believe that our work really requires that we explore fully whether cross-examination of a survivor is viable and useful for our client. I do not believe that we can dismiss the possibility for personal or moral reasons or because we feel like we're part of some larger movement to end violence and that, that this kind of cross-examination diminishes that movement. We are not in a position as lawyers to make the decision in that way. Those reasons are in conflict with our roles, um, our duties as officers of the court. I do believe, though, that cross-examination of a survivor may not be a strategically good call. And I think that that call is best made by attorneys who understand local court culture and judicial attitudes. And that once that determination is made about local court culture and judicial attitudes, the attorney has to be thinking about a client-centered approach to making the decision and really has to have that conversation with the client and come to that decision together. And finally, here's Madeline again noting the importance of withdrawing from a case anytime we feel we cannot zealously represent our client. I think that our personal morals really kind of come into play if we think that we can't provide that zealous representation. Because ultimately, I think that despite the fact that we're all committed to the movement and however it is that we define the movement, Anything we're lobbying for, anything we're advocating for, any movement that we're a part of doesn't come before the client. It can't come before the client, at least not in the manner in which I'm thinking about it. That client deserves that full, zealous representation. And our morals come into play if we really think that because of our beliefs, we are unable to zealously represent the client, in which case we should be considering asking to, be, to withdraw from the case and having another counsel assigned. I think it's our responsibility to have that honest conversation with the client. I think it's our responsibility to tell the court that we can't, we don't feel comfortable. This would be a very easy thing to tell the court if we know for a fact that the survivor, that the witness rather, that is on opposing parties' witness list is a survivor of violence, particularly if it's at the hands of the opposing party and that we're not comfortable impeaching them and that we feel that 
you know, we just feel very, very uncomfortable doing so and that we feel that we won't be able to zealously represent the client. If the client, if the court does not allow you to withdraw from the case, if it actually gets to that point, then you really have no choice but to zealously represent the client, which means doing a really good cross-examination in order to successfully impeach um, any witness that opposing party brings before the court. And now, because we're all lawyers, here's your friendly liability reminder. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice or legal representation. This podcast is national in scope and talks about national trends and best practices. You should always consult your local law. As a reminder, it is our job at the Commission to provide you with support in your civil representation of survivors. Please visit our website at ambar.org cdsv for information about our trainings and to contact us for help or support. Again, that's A-M-B-A-R period O-R-G slash C-D-S-V. This project was supported by grant number 2015 T-A-A-X-K-026, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women, U.S. Department of Justice. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the U.S. Department of Justice, Office on Violence Against Women. Until next time, clear law, full hearts, can't lose.